The Start On Demand. On demand. Should high schoolers start later in the morning? That's what the Winnipeg School Division wants parents to weigh in on. They say the research backs it up that later start times help high schoolers, but are there too many challenges to get in the way to make that switch? The Canadian healthcare system is stuck in the 60s, and many Canadians simply can't afford to live. That's what a global news series this week is looking at, which includes a poll that says most Canadians think there should be universal coverage for prescription drugs. And my girlfriend turned 30 over the weekend. She was sad. At age 41, I would give anything to be 30 again. But I also remember how much it sucked when I turned 30. Which milestone birthday hit you the hardest? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb, with Greg Mackling still gallivanting somewhere in Europe. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, May 13th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is back on Wednesday. He is wrapping up his European adventure. And if you want to follow along with his adventure, make sure you follow him on social media at GMACWPG. Loren McNabb, how are you this morning? I am fantastic. I'm sunburned, actually. Oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I all day yesterday was after the kids to put on sunscreen while I enjoyed my time in the hammock. And then around <laughs> 10 p.m. last night, like woke up on fire, just like with the sunburn pushing out of my skin. And I was like, oh, right. I didn't put on sunscreen. Oh, there you go. Jeez. How long you know, were you being outside? A re- oh, hours. Hours. Oh, yeah, like six hours. Sorry. You just uh, did you bathe yourself in like a vat of aloe? Yeah, I had to uh, wake up this morning, go digging for that, and then put on so much lotion. I feel so silly. Like, I'm a redhead. It's not like this is new to me. So, I remember, you know. I remember once, uh, this would have been about 15 years ago or so, went out to my buddy's cabin. He had a cabin in Sandy Hook. And uh, so it was me and him, the, the guy who, you know, it's his family's cabin. So we were the first ones there. We were expecting a handful of other friends to show up. So because we were the first ones there, we just decided to sit in the sun and it was the first time either of us had really been exposed to sunlight for that summer like in you know where we sat up we dug our shirts off to try to get some color and uh it took less than an hour to completely scorch my chest uh but because of the t- <laughs> because of the time i was a bit heavier and all my fat rolls on my stomach oh, were, no. were sort of bunched <laughs> up so when i stood up i looked like this mantle lantern because i had this pattern of red like blood red and then white lines lines across sort of where my rolls kind of were folded up. So I looked hilarious, but it did not feel hilarious. So I, I feel for you. I'm guessing you weren't taking your shirt off for a while after that. No, no. And, <laughs> and I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. Like I even went for a walk yesterday and I put on sunblock before. And, uh, you know, the person I was with says, what are you doing? We're just going for a quick walk. And I said, I get sunburned easily. So mm-hmm. just let me let me take care of myself here. I put on sunblock when I go out for a walk in the winter. Yeah. No. And I usually like my all my skin lotion like my lotion includes SPF you know it's usually 15 to 30 Mm -hmm. but you know it was a lazier weekend and so I didn't I just didn't put anything on at all yesterday so I just feel foolish and sore and my head's itchy your head is itchy I don't know if that's related Well, because you can burn your scalp. scalp. Yes, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, you want to see, it looks like it's going to be a good one today. High 23. So maybe stay out of the sun today, Loren McNabb. 
I can't make promises. Isn't it just like the best feeling in the world? Yesterday, we just kept saying over and over again, like, it's so nice out, like as if we just had never experienced anything like it before. Well, and yesterday was such a weird day because it was, it started off, and I don't know how it was for you. I know you're, you're just outside the city, but here in, in the city, it was gloomy mm-hmm. to start the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, then- we had uh, plans to stain the deck Saturday, and then we decided not to because it was going to rain. And then we woke up Sunday and we're like, oh, I guess we won't be doing it today either and then man did it change yeah it was a gorgeous day yesterday and they're looking for uh what are we calling for today a high of 24 my goodness i'm gonna have to scramble to get the air conditioner hooked up in our bedroom window then i guess oh you don't have it up yet no, well, we have we have an AC unit in the living room that's built into the wall, but we okay. bought an extra one for the bedroom. And it, even last night was kind of a, it gets sort of hot and stuffy in our bedroom. We have to close the door because I'm allergic to the cats and keep the cats out. And uh, it was a, a sweaty mess when I woke up at 1.30 this morning <laughs> to watch Game of Thrones before I Come came on, to Come on, you yeah, did not. I did. Brett. I, I debated whether or not I should go to, because I went to bed at like 6.30, thinking maybe you'll get up at 9.30 and watch it at 10 o'clock and then go back to bed. But when I woke up, I think around, I just happened to wake up at 9 and thought, no, nope, not getting up now. And I woke up at 1.30. And I thought, do I watch it now or do I wait till later? No, I'm watching it now, and I feel much better having watched it. So Because you were worried, like, because of spoilers? Because of spoilers, and I just I couldn't wait. I needed to know what happened. And if I, if I didn't watch it this morning, then I would just be sitting here watching the clock saying, okay, only three hours and 50 minutes left until, we get a, until we're done the show, and then maybe an hour after that I can leave and go home and watch Game of Thrones. And, uh, yeah, I just figured I'd watch it, and uh, it was I don't insane. I don't know if I've known a love like this before where I would be up at 1.30 in the morning. I feel I feel like this is almost like a romantic comedy, but between you and a show. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I used to get up at 1.30 in the morning when I worked the uh, the morning news shift on the weekend because I'd get to work at 3 o'clock in the morning. So it's not, it, it kind of felt nice. All I needed was a super-sized Slurpee and a bag of Ruffles, uh, sour cream Ugh, and bacon gosh, Ruffles. And, everything about this is yeah, disgusting me. Yeah, yeah, well, and so it should. It's disgusting. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're talking about healthcare today mm. and the fact that a lot of people simply can't afford uh, things like prescription drugs, for example. Yeah, and this is like where I think we'd really like to hear from some Winnipeggers in terms of the stories where they've paid out of pocket. We've got to, uh, we're going to discuss this at length this morning, but there's about 2 million Canadians who don't really have adequate uh, pharma care or, or farm pharmaceutical coverage, so they pay out of pocket for those things. We're going to tell you a story later on this morning about a woman who... Um, whose insurance didn't really cover a prosthetic limb for her, or at least not the one that would fit her properly. So she went nine years without a without a limb, just living in her wheelchair because of the difference between insurance and what the system could and, could and couldn't cover. And I think we all experience this, depending on your health care plan, your insurance plan, where you work, you know, maybe your spouse's coverage, you end up paying a lot more or a lot less from person to person, right? And I think this is the thing we need to talk about in this country. We all want to have better health care. But how do we get it? Can we afford it? And in the meantime, who's struggling? And I think it's a lot of us. Yeah, I went to the drugstore just over the weekend. I had two prescriptions I needed to pick up, and the the pharmacist rang it up, and he said, wow, you must have good insurance because this stuff's normally way more expensive. And I said, well, how much more? And he showed me the price tag, and I thought, whoa, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess I do have good insurance. So I was thankful for that, but... If I didn't have the insurance, that would be a heavy, a heavy burden having to, to pay for those prescriptions. And some of this is life-saving stuff. I went to pick up my son's uh, new EpiPen for him on the weekend. So same kind of trip that you did, Brett. And uh, 
the cost of those EpiPens now, and I think I have about 80% coverage, the cost is $122 per pen. Oh. And you need, you know, a couple of them at least to be carried with you at all times. And you have to get a new one every single year because they expire. So if you didn't have insurance, are you going to be the person who's going to get the two pens or three pens or one in your house or one in your kid's backpack and all those kinds of things? I don't know. I don't know. That's hundreds of dollars per year that you might just say, maybe I just roll the dice with one. And I think that's also scary. Like how many people are making choices to not buy drugs at all or not buy the drugs their doctor is recommending because they can't afford it. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is in Europe and McNabb unfortunately got herself a sunburn yesterday on Mother's Day. (laughs) It was worth it because I had such a great day just relaxing with the kids. They actually stained the deck while I just lay in the backyard and watched them. So it was lovely. And this hammock that you have, is it posted between two trees or like what's the setup on that? No, actually my father-in-law built this little, we don't have any trees in our backyard. Like We're in a newer development so or at least none that you can hang a hammock on yet. So the it's like these two, I, I can't even describe it, but he's built, it almost looks like a sh- like two prods coming out either side and you can, has hooks on it. Oh, cool. It's like a mount thing he's built. And um, yeah, I laid in there for hours yesterday. Right on. Well, put on some sunblock next time and you'll be good to go. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, with yesterday being Mother's Day, it's the day we all show our appreciation for mom. And for many last minute shoppers, that means a trip to the florist. And as Global's Allison McKinnon found out, it's also one of the busiest times of the year for those shops. Jim Chiseriz has been in the flower business for over 30 years with his family. And while other holidays can be busy, he says Mother's Day is the busiest time for buying flowers. Well, it's mom. I mean, you've got to show some love, and the best way to show love is flowers, I think. Everything else is candy and food. You do that anyway, but you buy some flowers, that's extra special. The store was filled with shoppers who felt the same way. Something you associate with Mother's Day is flowers. And there's everything else that goes along with Mother's Day also, but it's it's an important part. I would feel like I was missing something if I didn't give her some flowers. The mother-child relationship flowers are full of life, love, beauty. Um, They also smell incredible. (laughs) It's a really nice gift that a person might not choose to buy for themselves. While some feel the celebration is another commercial holiday, others say it's about showing your respect and appreciation. What other time of year do we really uh, think about and honor and show our um, feelings, right? For the people that brought us into the world, none of us would be here without a mother. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you very much. Alison McKinnon, Global News. Now, Loren, what jumped out at me in that report was the line where some would consider Mother's Day to be too commercial. And I just had a conversation with somebody the other day saying they thought it was too commercial, and I never heard this before. So, like, have you heard this? Oh, yeah. I I think increasingly more so. You know, it's the same kind of idea with the conversation around Valentine's Day, this chosen day that some would argue is, you know, pushed on us by the card companies as a, as a money making scheme. It's not really about love or it's maybe not about your mom or your dad. It's about, you know, industry and creating some money. So I, I have heard that. And I actually have heard people say they prefer not to do anything or get anything. Like they want to be same with Valentine's Day, like honored on a different day, like surprise me or surprise that mom or surprise that dad, not on the day that you're told to, but on a completely different day. I don't know. I like the idea of setting something aside. I certainly don't need 
a gift. I love getting the homemade stuff from the kids and some time with them or time alone or time however, but the gift's not necessary to me. And I can see the argument there, right? It's about what you get your mom as opposed to just hanging out with your mom. Yeah. I, and I, I admit that uh, before hearing this argument, I'd never really thought about it. And I am kind of part of the, the camp that is not a big fan of Valentine's Day. Right. So I sort of feel like a hypocrite if I say, well, I'm okay with Mother's Day, but... Ma, I think parents should have a day, at least one day a year where they get acknowledged. Because I remember saying to my mom when I was a kid, well, when's kids day? And she'd say, every day, <laughs> every day. is kids day. <laughs> I think your mom wants to talk to my mom. That used to be <laughs> the exact same line we used to get. No, I think it's nice. I think it's like I, I it is, it's just how we treat it as parents or children, right? Are we going to make it into something and be all upset if I don't get anything or am I going to be good if I get a phone call? I think you said it uh, last Friday. You were talking about Mother's Day and just the idea that reaching out and hanging out with your parent or your mom or your dad was the best part of it anyway, right? And so if that's what you're doing, then I think that's the, the best part of the day, not the gift. Well, let us know what you think. Is Mother's Day too commercial? Text us, 204-780-6868. Here's another text message. This one from Tim. Bad accident. Notre Dame and Hargrave. Notre Dame westbound blocked. Emergency crew on site. Gary McNabb, Macklings in Europe, Jeff Braun is here, Cam Poitras is here, Jeff Fortier. And right now we want to talk about birthdays because my girlfriend over the weekend turned 30 and she's been dreading it all year. And I empathize with her. I feel bad. You know, I mean, I bought her a card. I didn't buy her the nicest card. I bought her a card that says, warning, the following may contain sensitive material that could be offensive for some readers. And you open it up and it simply says, you are 30. Uh, <laughs> but she, she had a good sense of humor about it. But she's been kind of, you know, dreading it and sad. And I remember when I left my 20s, I thought, oh, man, I'm 30 now. Well, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 28 in a month and a half here. And I'm, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't like that three. I don't, I don't want to get to 30. But uh, such is life. People keep telling me every decade gets better. So I guess I just got to suck it up. They're lying to you. Forte, <laughs> <laughs> For, and you're like Cam, right? Yeah, we're the same age. Went to high school together, actually. Oh, yeah, right. we graduated yeah. together in uh, 2009. What school? River East. What? How are we just learning this? Or have you said this and I just ignored it? No, I just, it's, it's not really no one's business, right? <laughs> right Jeff? I agree. That is cool, though. I had no idea. Yeah. Bron, how old are you? 43. Now, I, I don't know how it was for you guys, but when I turned 20, I was so excited. I think even 25, I was excited. And then something changed as I approached 30, and I just started to dread my birthdays. I used to say to my dad, why don't you want to celebrate your birthday? I used to say that when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I turned 30, and then it kind of clicked in like, oh, yeah, now I get it. I actually have a clip here from Friends. Okay. Look, turning 30 is not that big a deal. Oh, really? Is that how you felt when you turned 30? Why, God, why? <laughs> Made a deal. Let the others grow old, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well done. What about you, McNabb? How was it for you when you turned 30? Honestly, I'm going to be the anti-person here. I had no, I, I, I loved it. Like, it, we had a great day. I had family fly in when I was living in Toronto. Uh, I thought it was a ton of fun. I, I don't remember having any stress about turning 30, but I, I'm probably just forgetting. Yeah. Like, I know, I know that there might have been, I don't know, there's always questions. And, and as you get older, too, like, where are you if you want to have kids? And if you were alone at that time, you know, you start thinking about those kinds of things when it comes to age. But I'm 41 now. I'm turning 42 next month. And I also didn't have any stress about 40. I definitely 
definitely can remember that. That was just, you know, a year and a half ago. And I don't know. I, I kind of, I kind of do believe in the idea that I feel like I am hopefully getting wiser, a little rounder maybe, but <laughs> hopefully wiser. <laughs> so I, like, I've enjoyed the growth that comes with that. 30 didn't bother me at all either. 40 was different. Actually, Turning 40 was fine. It was 39 was by far the roughest year yeah. of my life. That was because I spent the whole year thinking, oh, my God, I'm almost 40. I'm almost 40. <laughs> and then you turn 40. It's like, oh, okay. It's the same as it was yesterday. No big deal. Yeah. I have a feeling that like when I get to 45, I've heard this from people. Once you go on the other side of that, right? So now you're closer to 50 than you are to 40, that that's a different conversation yeah, yeah. because that's a different whole different age group and you're approaching that senior thing but right now i feel good about it but jeff you raise it that's a good point because uh you know with my girl's case she when she turned 29 the one of the first things she says was i'm almost 30 yep. and she's been worrying about it all year mm-hmm. and uh, she even made a joke like you're gonna trade me in for a younger model because I, I, yeah. I, I, you can't say you're, you're, that I'm your girlfriend in her twenties anymore. And I said you're always gonna be twelve years younger than me, so uh, that novelty is never gonna wear off. But uh, I, I sort of felt for like my two worst ones were thirty and then thirty-five, and that's just because of the business we work in, where we focus on things like demographics, where mm-hmm. there's the eighteen to thirty-four demographic, which is coveted by many advertisers, and and. Uh, once I left 34, I thought, well, I'm not. So at least I was still in my in that, and now I don't even have that to hold on. Well, to. I, I kind of feel like once I get to 30, I think that's kind of like I gotta. I, I feel like I'm, I'm grown up now, but I feel like that I really, really have to. You know, well, I, I don't know why. Do, I, is that is that good to feel like that? Is am I supposed to feel that way or? Like you're still pretty young when you're in your thirties. Oh my gosh, I think that's the thing now. Like I, like if you think about how how knock on wood as I say this, like how much longer we're supposed to live and all the different things we do with our life. Thirty is thirty is young. Yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, we have a text from Deborah here who says thirty. Oh my goodness, I'll be sixty five this year. Thirty is a vague memory for me. Enjoy the thirties. Hey, you are now the baby of the 30s instead of the oldie of the 20s. That's a great bright side. Yeah. Way I do like I like that. I like the way she looked at that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And uh, I, and too, like when I, even though I when I turned 30, I was kind of grumpy about it. But my 30s ended up being one of the best, mm-hmm. uh, f- most fun times of my life. And as you pointed out. Uh, I, I feel like the wisdom that comes once you turn 30 does help because I think you spend your 20s worrying about what am I going to do with my life and I don't know. I was significantly stupider a decade ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when I yeah. was like 17 or 18, I was significantly dumber. Yeah, I think we all are. <laughs> yeah. What was your uh, What was your favorite? Jeff Braun, what was your, do you have a, a standout birthday for you? Oh, 14 was really good. I remember 13 was good because you're a teenager, right? But 14, I got uh, Motley Crue concert tickets from a birthday <laughs> gift, and that was just nice. the best gift I ever got. So nice. I, I remember that very clearly. 14, is there one that jumps out for you? Oh, I want to say like 12. Like being really, really young, <laughs> and when, when you're excited, like it's your birthday, and you're just pumped. Now I'm just like, yeah, it's my birthday. <laughs> what about you, McNabb? Oh, I'm trying to think. 21, I feel like I was super excited for. I remember 10 being a big one. I got a, I remember, I think that was the year I got a Belinda Carlisle tape, and that was sweet. So, oh you know. Oh, my goodness. Belinda oh, Carlisle. Yeah. Circle in the sand, baby. <laughs> Circle in the sand. Yeah, I can yeah. stop. That was a great rendition. Well, let us know. 204 780 What was your favorite birthday? Did you have a hard time dealing with milestone birthdays? Our very own Greg Mackling turns 50 next week, so he's got his own milestone that he is, I don't think, 
looking forward to. Uh, but Hal Anderson can provide him with some wisdom on on that because Hal's been enjoying all the the discounts that he's getting. I think for how old was he, Loren, that he was able to get those? Just 50? 55? 50? 55. 55, 50. I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Late last week, Winnipeg police say two paramedics were confronted by a patient with a hatchet, a 10-inch long weapon. Here's Constable Rob Carver. The ambulance arrived at Health Sciences Centre But prior to transferring the patient, the male produced a hatchet and began acting in a threatening manner towards the paramedics who were moving him. Winnipeg Police General Patrol officers were in the immediate area and responded. A conducted energy weapon, a taser, was deployed and the male was safely disarmed. There were no injuries. After being medically cleared, the 24-year-old male from Winnipeg was arrested and charged with assault with a weapon as well as possess a weapon. So as we shared with you over the weekend on CJOB, Winnipeg Fire and Paramedic Services says anecdotally, they don't have numbers for this, but they say anecdotally, paramedics are seeing more patients with weapons. And that's why the union representing those paramedics is calling for training, specifically close quarter defense training. Ryan Woden is the president of MGEU Local 911 and joins us now. Good morning, Ryan. Hi, good morning. Let's start with that incident. Did paramedics, would you say that it's fair to say they feared for their lives in that moment? Well, I mean, anytime uh, I think any, uh, someone's in a close quarter uh, um, area with someone who, uh, you know, brandishes a weapon and, uh, you know, holds it in a manner that's threatening, then yeah, I think anybody would be pretty scared in that in that moment. So, yeah, that goes without saying that uh, we're, we're part of that group that would be, uh, you know, scared in, in a situation like that. How often are EMS workers seeing weapons on their calls and what kind of weapons? Like you said, uh, there's no real uh, data yet coming coming out. But I mean, I, I've said before that there was really never a need to really uh, collect this data. It was a, it was a lot more rare in the past. But uh, uh, being a paramedic of 20 years here in Winnipeg, along with a lot of great paramedics, uh, we do anecdotally hear that we're, we're we're you know we're hearing about weapons, we're seeing weapons, knives. Uh, uh, hatchets, as we know, um, but I mean, even something as small as just getting spit on is uh, is dangerous, and uh, that happens on a more regular basis than anybody really, really counts, I guess. I don't think anyone would expect that before you offer care to anybody in need that you you know that you do some sort of check to see if they're carrying any weapons. So, what is your recommendation, Ryan, when it comes to what you think can be done to either prevent or at least mitigate any sort of damage that might be caused by somebody who would attack a paramedic? Well, honestly, Lauren, um, the short term, uh, one of the short term solutions, I guess, is to, to perhaps, yeah, uh, unfortunately, maybe take a little bit of time, uh, which isn't. It's not too far out of the realm of something that we would we would do, but we would take some time and, and try to pat them down and check them for weapons. Uh, we often ask, uh, but uh, people don't always offer up uh, an honest answer. But, uh, you know, the short-term solution is, uh, I believe, when these incidents happen, to make sure that the, the paramedics are involved in, in investigating what happened, why it happened, and did we respond appropriately. You know, um, paramedics need to know that when they are in danger in the back of a truck that's like i said four feet by eight feet that if they hit that button on their radio they know that there is a consistent response and that's what we're trying to do we know it's not easy and we know the police are busy and they're not always right around the corner but we need to know that the response will be consistent meaning that at least if i know i'm in a dangerous situation in the back of an ambulance i hit the button on my radio 
I need to know that that radio is going to stay open so that I can talk and use my hands to either defend myself. And I know, at least I'm confident knowing that the police have been notified and they're on their way. And we've just found that in the past, when we, when we investigate some of these incidents, that there are some gaps, um, gaps in response, things that we can't, we're just finding out that, uh, you know, sometimes our GPS with the ambulance doesn't always say where we were or where we are. It may say where we were a minute ago. And that minute takes a long time to find an ambulance on the, on the road somewhere when they've pulled over and they're in a situation. So that's what we're really asking is that in the short term, let us be a part of these investigations so we can offer up suggestions and understand what, what was done and what we can do better next time. And in the long term, uh, we're hoping that the, the department would look at something like uh, spear training, which is close quarter tr- defensive training, really. Um, we know that some of our security guards uh, in our Manitoba corrections uh, have some of this training. We know that the police have specific training as well. And so we're just hoping that we can, we can be a part of that and get some of that training. And we know it's not, it's not cheap probably, but uh, at that point, we're, we're not really looking at cost right now. We're looking at just trying to make sure people feel confident in the back of that ambulance that uh, the system's going to work and they have a little bit of training to maybe delay whatever could happen, right? So, so Ryan, these things that you're asking for, is anybody listening? Uh, well, um, I know that we had, a, we had some paramedics that were uh, badly beat up in the back of an ambulance six months ago, and we know that three weeks ago there was another crew that was uh, punched pretty good in the back of an ambulance, and it's scary. I mean, we're no different than you and, and Lauren and everybody else out there. You know, if, if somebody all of a sudden wants to attack you and hurt you and kill you potentially, you know, you're just like everybody else. You're just looking to defend yourself and try to get home to your family. And, uh, uh, yeah, we're we're hoping that uh, they're, they're listening because it's, it's happening more and more. So, so we'll find out uh, as the weeks uh, come upon us here. Hopefully that this, uh, this generates a conversation that we can get serious about. So... But as, as it stands right now, there's no plan, as you know of, specifically to help paramedics. I know we heard WFPS say on Friday that they're reviewing things, and I've got an email out to WRHA mm-hmm. on what might be underway. But as you, as it stands right now, it's just a, is it even a conversation taking place with people at the same table? It's it's a conversation, and then there's a you know, and there's there's more table conversations to ha to, to be had, no doubt. But. Uh, um, Nothing's nothing's being rolled out right away, but uh, like I said, we're hoping that we can uh, make these incidents will generate a more a higher priority on uh, trying to to solve. Like I said, not just the not just the the defensive training, perhaps, but like I said, just reviewing these incidents are are, are are a major a major deal because each one of them is unique, and we realize you can't prevent every single incident from happening. But like I said, this is a this is a pretty good test of how a paramedic uh, will feel in the future uh, going forward when, when, when they're in trouble. They need to know that somebody's going to be there for them, right? So and that's part of the department's job is to make us feel confident that, uh, that they're behind us and that they're, they're wanting to make sure that we have every protection available to us. Ryan Whiten is the president of MGEU Local 911, the union representing paramedics in our city. Ryan, Ryan thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate the time. I just want to say I'm a, I'm a big fan of this show, and uh, I appreciate you getting me on, and uh, it's a very important topic to us. So once again, thank you. Well, thank you, Ryan. Very much appreciate that feedback. It's long been something many Canadians have bragged about, Loren, our access to free universal health care. 
But we're talking this morning, Brad, about what happens after you leave the hospital or even the doctor's office, with many Canadians having to dig into their own pockets for ongoing care. So just last week, a Winnipeg woman fighting breast cancer was in the headlines after sharing how a drug prescribed by doctors here to treat her cancer isn't actually covered. So she's drained her savings account and sold a car to pay out of pocket for that treatment. Apparently, it's about $7,000 to date. Michael Law is the Canada Research Chair in Access to Medicine and says Canadians, too many of them, simply can't afford life-saving or in some cases life-changing treatments. So when we've studied this across the country, we've found that nearly a million Canadians are making trade-offs between paying for prescription drugs and paying for food, paying for heat and paying for other life necessities. It, it is a horrible decision to have to make. You know, it's, it's your health or your heat or your health or your kids or your health or your food. It's uh, not something that one would expect from a country that where everyone thinks we have universal health care. So as you've been hearing this morning, a poll done exclusively by Epsos for Global News found 81% of Canadians would like to see some sort of universal coverage for prescription drugs. But the question is, how do we pay for it? Canada's healthcare system goes back to the 1960s, and it's based on a model basically where, in theory, anything outside that life-saving spectrum is supposed to be paid out of pocket. This is the case for Patty DeGaia. She's an amputee that lived without a prosthetic leg for nine years because the system and her own private insurance in Ontario didn't cover a more comfortable leg. According to Patty, it was considered a luxury item. When we were reading the fine print on the with the private insurance, they said they would cover a prosthetic leg according to what the fine print said on the... But they didn't tell you, like... They choose the prosthetic leg and how much money they're going to give you, right? So, then so that's the next thing. I mean, the prosthetic leg. You're thinking I'm going to get a decent prosthetic leg that works for me for my for my current lifestyle because I'm not a 70 year old person, right? I'm a mom with three young, literally three young kids. Like two of them are in diapers. And what did they give you? They gave me uh, the insurance company. I think offered me seventeen thousand dollars. I didn't end up taking it because it was like, what was the point? Because I didn't have money to cover the rest of the quote for the leg, which was at the time $49,000. So I didn't take anything. So I lived nine years in wheelchair and crutches and my kids didn't get to do, they didn't have a mother to walk them to school. They didn't have, like, everybody was trapped. So in Patty's case, it wasn't until Friends launched a crowdfunding campaign that she was able to afford that prosthetic leg that she wanted. But even there... She was out of pocket over $30,000, Brett. And we're going to talk more about this at 845, about that rise in crowdfunding. But you've seen them before where people go on GoFundMe for everything from, you know, I have to come to Winnipeg for treatment, but I can't afford the hotel. Or I have this drug that I need, but I can't pay for it. Or the surgery isn't done in Manitoba, but it is done, say, in Edmonton. Can you help me get to Edmonton to have that paid for? And so the whole idea of uh, this healthcare system that covers everything is obviously been thrown amok. And we know we all know that lots of things are covered but many things aren't and it's not until you're in it that you realize oh what that's not part of my coverage plan and then you find yourself scrabbly yeah especially when we're looking at something that's tens of thousands of dollars like this prosthetic like one of our listeners kevin the garbage man texting saying why does a prosthetic leg cost fifty thousand dollars uh that's a lot of money and so many of these Drugs as well are overpriced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, if you have to pay for it out of pocket and you don't have the coverage for it, 
that becomes a huge burden. And you heard in that story, when you have to pick and choose, like your health or your food uh, or your health or whatever, I mean, we often put our health needs aside because we need to be able to save up for other things. Simple things like I remember once when, when I, need, I needed to buy a new bed and I was putting it off even though my sleep every night was awful. And then I finally said, no, this is your health. You got to do it. But if it was a, a, a drug that you absolutely depended on, uh, you have to do it regardless of what it costs, but at what cost to the rest of your existence. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in some drugs, uh, you can find generic versus the name brand. You know, there's different options that might be out, out there. If I'm understanding this prosthetic limb story, it's the same idea that you can get one, I think, for about 15 to 20K. It's a more basic one. It didn't fit to her leg. It wasn't comfortable. It didn't really work for her. And so it's like, you know, stages of things. It's like you hear from people who might be living with a disability where like the very basic wheelchair is covered, but it doesn't work in snow or it's not automatic, right? And so what what is being covered under this healthcare plan? And the whole notion, and we just had a text from Wayne pointing up this, stop calling it free healthcare. I mean, we pay for it in our taxes, and we do. We do pay taxes to provide us with the healthcare, but then what do you get? And I think it, it, if you go from person to person, everything's different depending on that plan and, and the fact that I think we said last hour, 30% of Manitobans don't even have coverage for drugs, let alone other things, because they just don't have the insurance or the job. So it can be scary for people. So we're going to talk more about crowdfunding for healthcare at 845. Who are we speaking with at that point, Loren McNabb? Yeah, he's a digital media professor out of Ontario, and we've spoken to him in the past, and it's a really crazy number that's out there right now. At least one third of GoFundMe pages now are for medical treatments or some sort of medical coverage. And so this idea that people are crowdsourcing to fund care raises all sorts of questions about how they have to do it how you have to be a good marketer like you have to actually be good at getting your name and your story out there to get some help and then are there ethical implications with that and so it's a pretty interesting conversation to have the headline at globalnews.ca that talks about canada's health care system being stuck in the 60s and loren we learned something there about people who have to go to crowdfunding for their health care costs yeah, and it sounds like a growing number of Canadians and North Americans. Certainly, we know the situation in the United States, but we're even hearing stories in Canada increasingly. I went on GoFundMe, for example, last night, and a lot of the top GoFundMe pages right now for Winnipeggers or Manitobans are people who are looking for help with their health care. So that could be for their prescription drugs. It could be for a specialized wheelchair. It could also be just, you know, for the, the, the time that it takes them to be away from their work. Bottom line, it's costing us and our insurance doesn't cover everything. So we want to delve into this further. Brett Carraway is with the University of Toronto's Institute of Communication, Culture, Information and Technology. And he's talked about this before and joins us now. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. So let's talk about the rationale behind a crowdfundme or a GoFundMe page for our healthcare. We're we're trying to sell an idea because we need help. So in the United States, it's been going on for a while. A lot of people down there have been using it to, I guess, apps that they have. Uh, Oftentimes, they'll come up against illnesses um, with major costs that aren't part of their comprehensive care coverage, Um, and people are have been using gap in those situations. And then in the United States, uh, sometimes as many as 10% of the population has no insurance to those sorts of programs or campaigns uh, to raise money. So it is uh, a somewhat troubling sign, in my opinion. It, it shows that there's a, a looming crisis going on in healthcare, uh, the provision of healthcare. 
But you, you mentioned the United States, but we're seeing this in Canada. I think I read somewhere that as many as a third of those pages are going towards or, or, or fundraising for people who are needing help with their health care. Is that a fair estimate or do we even have that number at hand? Well, so the, the, the sort of one in three campaign being related to healthcare is what other studies have found looking at the United States. I haven't seen anything specific on Canada yet, but what I have seen is that the um, campaigns are increasing in terms of the number of campaigns, their visibility, and the amount of funds that are being raised in, in the Canadian context. Is there a, a, a danger that with the more of these pages that are created for people looking to raise money online, is there a danger that that sort of market will get saturated? Maybe market isn't the right word, but, you know, that, that, that there will be too many of these pages and people will just stop crowdfunding to help people pay for this stuff? So some, some research has indicated that on average... Uh, Actually, yeah, on average, I think these a lot of these health campaign uh, are raising less than their their goal or they're raising even sometimes no money at all or less than half of what their their stated goal is. Um, one thing that I would say that's important to consider is that kind of what you were implying that you're 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 competing against others for sympathy, so you have to think about you got to give up privacy in order to raise funds because you're creating a market here uh, around sympathy. So you basically are forced to self-brand your suffering. That includes like posting photos, creating a narrative around your, your suffering. That means you've got to provide status updates and, and, and health outcomes from the, from the services that you're receiving. Um, it's, it's not, it's not the best way, obviously. It's not ideal um, in terms of providing health care for people. I know you're not a healthcare expert, Brett. Your, your medium is talking about digital information and technology. But at the end of the day, if you're living in Canada and you're struggling, you don't have that coverage, many might be left with this feeling this is their only option. Yeah, like I said, it, it, it is indicative to me that we're approaching some sort of crisis situation. And... Um, People have certainly turned to it, I think, in, out of desperation. Like if, if you think about something like a diagnosis of um, childhood leukemia, if one of your children was faced with a diagnosis like that, you're talking about a, a treatment that can cost you know, upwards of $400,000. And if you don't have a healthcare system that's providing that, and it's, say, a two-parent um, household, very likely that one parent might have to give up their job in order to stay at home with the child who's undergoing treatment. So you're down to a single income. And if, if you don't have a, a healthcare system that's providing for those costs, you're in a, in a desperate financial situation. And these sorts of platforms, um, obviously, in, in other contexts, have been succeeding tremendously. This is a billion-dollar industry. Uh, and in terms of just healthcare campaigns, they're raising some like GoFundMe, I think it's raising somewhere between 600 to $700 million annually. So the the desperation has created a a serious market here for these sorts of services. Brett Carraway, University of Toronto's Institute of Communication, Culture, Information and Technology, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Brett, thank you very much for this. My pleasure. 
this is a neat idea that they've been talking about for a while, Brett. The division has been saying that they want to take a look at later start times for high school students. But before it decides whether or not it's going to sort of start the bell or ring the bell, do they still ring a bell in high school? Is it a buzzer? Uh, oh my God! I I have no idea. Forte, you're the one who's closest to high school <laughs> out of us. What did they do when you left? Uh, we just came through the PA system. It was like a little buzzer. Was a buzzer? Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> so that okay. sounds sound like a belch. Yeah, well, that's kind of what it sounded like. That well, it's get... meant. I think it's meant to startle you either way, Brett. Yeah, yeah, that would work. A belch certainly would work. Well, the buzzer or bell is going to go a little later in Winnipeg school divisions if it gets results back from the survey that suggests parents might be in favor in, of this. So so that survey launched this morning, and we'll have details of it on our website, cjob.com. But basically what they're saying is that they've looked at this. They've got research showing from the American Pediatric Society that recommends later start times. I think there's at least 70 American school districts that have delayed start times, and there's at least one that I could find in northwestern Ontario. I believe it's called the Kuwaitan School District, and it's pushed start times back for its older kids. School there now starts at 9 a.m., which is 50 minutes later than teens in that division used to start. And so the idea would be that it's supposed to help with, you know, you're going to do better in school if you can have a bit more sleep, because we all know teens definitely need more sleep. It might help with delinquency. It might help with high school dropout rates. So again, this is something the Winnipeg School Division thinks it really needs to take a look at, because it might help bring up some of the grades for kids in its school. I don't I'm trying to remember now what time I even started school in high school. I thought from yeah, I seem to remember it being around nine o'clock. Right. So if they're talking about I uh, well so we've got calls out first of all to the Winnipeg School Division as well as some of its trustees about this. But whatever the start time is, if you're pushing it back say twenty minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes, where is that going to get the student's day starting at. Like 10 o'clock is a pretty late start because are the kids then going to go till 4 or 5 for school? Yeah, and a lot of kids have after-school jobs that they mm-hmm. need when they're in high school, right? So, yeah, if you if you start the day later, do you go later? And, again, I think it all hinges on whether or not these kids actually get themselves to bed because I know that if I didn't have to go into school until 10 o'clock, then I probably would have fought to stay up an hour later. Uh, and I guess that would be up to my parents to chase me to bed. But when you're a high school student or 17-year-old, you're 16 or 17-year-old, and your parents tell you to go to bed, are you going to listen to them, especially if you've got homework to do? That's what I would always say. Well, i got to finish this this assignment mm-hmm. it's due tomorrow and i don't have to get to school now until 10 o'clock so just let me stay up and do it so i would probably end up shooting myself in the foot if i were a student in this situation why'd you leave it to the last minute brett because Is that what mom said oh every time every <laughs> single time the idea the, the assignment is due i remember writing a paper in grade 11 for uh, mr petco was my english teacher larry petco at college pierre elliott trudeau in transcona on redonda and i didn't write my first paragraph i think until 1 30 in the morning <laughs> The paper was due that morning, so I did it to myself. I I rely, I thrive, I guess, on I need that deadline to, to push me to work. Well, that's why you're in a deadline biz, which is the news. But I, but I, I don't know if 20 minutes would have made a difference there. We just had a listener text in to say school start times are at Winnipeg School Division are actually nine. And so they're not necessarily looking at a full hour later. I'm not really sure if they have an exact time to which they'd say, you know, is it 15 minutes later that would be better or 20 minutes later? Like what is the actual number they're looking at? But I think it's an interesting concept if it is proven to make a difference. 
in some school districts. Yeah, somebody's suggesting here, how about a quiet room or a, like a nap room, a short nap room? That's interesting as well. But again, the danger there is you sleep through the rest of the day, as I once did in university. I remember, I think the name of the library at the University of Manitoba, at least one of the libraries, the one that I would go to was Elizabeth Defoe, I think is what it was called. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was in the Faculty of Arts. It was the biggest library, and they had these like cushions that you could either sit on or you could line them up and lie on them, and uh, people would go up there to study comfortably. That's what I started doing. I'd go up there to study, and then I realized, nope, this is way too comfortable to study. I'm just going to sleep. And I figured I'd go take a nap before my afternoon psychology class, which was at 2 o'clock or 2.30. So I lied down at 1 o'clock. I woke up at 6.30 p.m. So the nap didn't work. (laughs) It didn't work for me, Loren. That's not a nap, man. That's like just just switched your whole day around. Like, I'm just going to sleep my day away. Okay. That like a nap is like 25 to 50 minutes. Maybe I know, an hour. I know. I know what a nap is supposed to be. I, I actually just... don't know if that's an exact definition, but again, but you know, like you, like a lot of uh, companies in Japan have nap rooms, which can work, right? And don't you remember when you got a nap in kindergarten? Remember yes. laying down a towel and laying on that towel and being like, I don't want this. But I would take that towel right now if you offered it to me. Oh, there, lay right under the desk. There are times where I will run after the show and just find a quiet room and, and I, I can't lie down. I'll just sort of sit back. I can fall asleep sitting up in a chair, no problem. And I'll just sit there for a few minutes and, and try to take a nap because sometimes all you need is that reboot. Uh, so maybe that would help the kids. Uh, I don't know. I think I am, I'm in support of of giving the students whatever they need uh, for to help them with their academics. And if they getting them at a few extra minutes of sleep helps or a later start time helps them, great. Because, yeah, when I was a teenager, I could sleep for 12 hours without breaking a sweat. No problem. Because I was always tired. I feel like you could do that now. <laughs> no, I try. No? I try. On the weekends, I try. And I, like I got up on Saturday. I, I figured, oh, it must be 11 o'clock. I woke up and it was 8.30. And uh, I thought, well, I guess... I just can't do it anymore because I'm getting mm. old. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's. I think you could go back to sleep, but you wouldn't sleep through like you used to at like 14. Yeah, I would just. I'll wake up and doze off and wake up and doze off. Whereas when I was a kid or a teenager, I could sleep all oh, the way yeah. through. Oh yeah. So nothing made the parents any angrier than that. Question of the day at cjob.com which has brought to you by Credit Aid helping Manitobans get out of debt. Since 1992, visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Winnipeg School Division doing a survey on later start times for high school students. Should a high school start later in the morning? We'll give you the results of that poll coming up. Loren McNabb, uh, I, I, I think I would have certainly benefited from more sleep. The question is, would I have taken that extra sleep? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's the question for many parents as they kind of consider this this morning. And parents in Winnipeg School Division are actually being asked to take some time and think about the idea of later start times for high school students because they're conducting a survey as we speak. It just went online this morning to find out what people think about it and whether they agree with sort of the facts they provided about where later start times in high schools have really made a difference for schools. We know there's one in northwestern Ontario. There are several in the United States that have later start times. And so for more on that research and what they're looking for, we're joined by Jamie Hutchinson, who is the research director of Winnipeg School Division. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Let's just start with the start time as it is right now. How does it, where does it sit in most high schools in the Winnipeg School Division? In all our high schools, it starts at nine o'clock. So what would be a consideration? Are we talking 20 minutes later, 50 minutes later? What are we looking at? 
Again, right now, we have no kind of preconceived idea of what that looks like. We're basically gauging public interest, that we know that uh, students in general, their circadian rhythms get shifted by about one or two hours when puberty starts. So they tend to fall asleep later and wake up later. And uh, they typically fall asleep around 11 o'clock and wake up about eight hours later. So uh, right now we know that uh, there's studies that suggest that uh, half of Canadian teens get much less sleep, about six and a half to seven and a half hours per night. So the idea then is that it doesn't matter what time they go to bed, they're likely to fall asleep at 11 o'clock and maybe the school system needs to adjust to the students rather than the students adjust to the school? Yeah, it, again, it's we're, we're kind of taking biology into account here and saying, is this something we're thinking about and looking closer at? And we're asking parents for their input. I've just started the survey myself. I don't have kids in this division, but I was just curious what was being asked. And so I'm only on page one. But what kind of what kind of questions are you asking beyond where does your kid go to school and how old are they? Well, we're, we're kind of looking at what start time do parents think would be best? Should we start uh, at the current time that works well for people? Or is it looking at 10 minutes later, a half hour later? Uh, then we're looking at uh, kind of what other concerns do we have to be looking at? So transportation becomes an issue for people if we're talking about adjusting times or childcare demands, reduction in evening time for homework and family, all those type of things, extracurricular activities, job schedules, all those type of things come into play. And we'd like input with regards to how big a disruption that may be, or if people even have the will to explore this in any further detail. And I, yeah, and I realize that you're just looking at this right now. You're not making any changes. You're just asking for feedback. Yep, it's just gauging parent input based on some kind of new studies that are coming out looking at children's sleep patterns. Have parents, like, have you talked to any parents so far, you yourself? Um, just in passing, kind of in looking at things and, and invariably there's things that come up about scheduling and, uh, extracurricular activities and things like that. So again, it's, it's very, we just went kind of live this morning. So, uh, it's a little early in the game to be looking at kind of any feedback that's been coming in. There was a McGill study done on this. It's listed in your documents of your fact sheets of the study on later start times. And it talks about students who started after 9.30 compared to those who may have started at 8 or 8.30 were 10% less likely to feel tired. Is that actually enough to make a difference? Is, is there studies that show it's actually improving performance, though, or making a difference in grades, Jimmy? Yeah, there's been some studies that look at it improving kind of student grades and outcomes and uh, looking at um, less kind of behavior-related issues uh, in jurisdictions, again. Uh, we need to look seriously at how this applies to our particular set of circumstances, that uh, it's something that uh, is still kind of very much in its infancy here as far as looking at how it applies to our particular set of variables. On the website, on your website, wsd1.org, as uh, you, you get into the survey, it says the challenges of changing the start time are numerous, um, we're just curious to know what would some of those challenges be from your perspective? Um, some of them would be things associated with, uh, for our inclusion support programs, transportation, 
looking at uh, various child care demands that families might have. Sometimes the older children are looking after and getting the younger children off to school, for example. Um, looking at things like student employment commitments, that a lot of students rely on that extra income to look at saving for things like university and things like that, that uh, that might affect their ability to, if you start later, you'll uh, tend to end later. So that may affect people's work schedules. Um, the before and after school activity, sports teams and bands and all those type of things that use those before and after school time periods for practices. Um, and then looking at coordination with external organizations, tutoring, um, booking facilities for uh, after-school activities, all those type of things kind of come into play here. Do you have any sense of what this may have cost, if anything, to do this survey and put this research together, Jamie, what the cost might be to the division to look into this? To put the survey together? Yeah. It's not really much of a cost at all. That okay. uh, That the... Uh, the software for the survey exists within the division that uh, it just was the time associated with kind of okay. typing up the, the background information for parents and making sure they were kind of informed as to what we were looking at. One last question for, before we let you go. You know, some of our listeners are saying to us, well, if you have a later start time, how is that preparing some of these high school kids for real life? Most jobs don't start at, you know, 9 or 9.30 or even 10. What's your response to that? I think those are legitimate concerns that we want to listen to parents and we want to be uh, taking their uh, kind of feedback into account that we are talking about their children and that we encourage those voices to be heard and to look at that as part of looking at this area in general. Jamie Hutchison joining us live on 680 CJOB from Winnipeg School Division, Research Planning and Technology Services. Thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate this. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, we're getting a lot of feedback as well on our 680 CJOB Facebook page, Loren. And so far, the bulk of the votes going towards the no side uh, at CJOB.com. The poll results will just get a refreshed result on that. 92% say no, the students will adapt and stay up later. And the question is, again, should high school start later in the morning? 8% say yes, the students will benefit from the extra sleep. And on the CJOB Facebook page, there was an interesting comment uh, from somebody saying, look, yeah, they might benefit from the sleep, but there's more that goes into it because this, you know, school is also meant to prepare these students for the real world. And here it is. I think the extra sleep may help academically. But these youth are just on the brink of becoming adults, adults who often have to wake up early and perform in less than ideal circumstances to get the job done. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com or on Facebook. I often wonder how much of the response is based on, you know, oh, well, when I was growing up, we didn't do it that way and we turned out just fine, you know, and they've got new research and new information. So I'm not sure how I feel about this, but I want to read more before I, you know, cast a vote to yes or no. I think it's... I don't know. There might be merit to it. And maybe if it's just for a few years, I totally get the argument. You have to prepare for your next phase of life. But uh, I don't know if changing the start time from 9 to 9.20 is going to mean someone's less prepared. It might mean they just get a bit more sleep, which is helpful. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't personally have an issue with them doing the research. You know, They're no. just looking into it and they're asking for feedback. And this is an opportunity. You can provide your feedback on cjob.com or on Facebook, but you can also, if you are a parent in the Winnipeg School Division, you can provide your feedback directly to the School Division. So uh, you can email us if you want a link to that survey if you need it. And we'll get more of your feedback on this throughout the day, I'm sure. We begin with the the breaking news we learned about an hour ago from WestJet. 
Yeah, and I don't know why this took me by such surprise, but uh, WestJet has signed a friendly deal to be sold to Onyx Corporation. So Onyx Corporation, based out of Toronto, or at least its headquarters are in Toronto, is going to buy WestJet Airlines, which is valued at about $5 billion as a transaction. So we wanted to kind of figure out what's going on here and what should customers and passengers should be thinking this morning. Barry Prentice is a professor of transportation economics at the U of M Asper School of Business and joins us now. Good morning, Barry. Good morning. I don't. I was just saying, I don't know why it took me by surprise, but I think it might be something to do with the value we put on as Western Canadians <laughs> of WestJet. Is that a fair sentiment, Barry? I think so. I think that, you know, again, these sorts of deals don't come along very often. And after all, it is only two big airlines in the country. And so to see a major corporation like this change is a bit of a, a surprise to us all. I think what also is interesting is they look like they're going to take it into being a private corporation. So in a sense, they'd remove it, I suppose, from the stock market. And that also maybe shields them a little bit more into the future in terms of, of whatever bumps they might encounter. You know, stock markets can go up and down and affect your business quite a bit. And, and they're in a phase of very significant expansion. Uh, they're buying, they have three of the, of the new jet uh, Dreamliners, and they're going international over to Europe. They're going to be getting seven more of them. And so this is a big expansion phase, and maybe that extra financial muscle and stability is, is really going to help them. Now, Barry, it's important, I think, that they've been pointing out that this is a friendly deal to buy WestJet because yeah. the first thing that I thought of was 20 years ago, Onyx uh, fa- tried and failed in a merger <laughs> attempt. They wanted to buy and merge Air Canada and Canadian Airlines, and from what I recall, that was not so friendly. Yeah, that's right. And But I guess it just goes back to... You know, he, he still wants an airline, <laughs> so he's going to buy one. And uh, it, I think the situation of today is much better than it was then uh, for anybody investing in the airlines. They've been profitable and quite profitable uh, of of recent times, although, you know, we're looking at uh, things like rising fuel prices because energy is recovering and certainly carbon taxes. So there's some uncertainty, but they also have this uh, major expansion underway, which will be is quite exciting, really. Well, let's talk about what it might mean. And maybe it's too early for this, Barry, but, you know, as a customer who might have valued the Western Canadian values of WestJet and or just or, and or just the prices of those tickets and wondering where this will go in terms of competition, is there any argument to be made that if you pri- do put it privately, as you say, pull it off the stock exchange, that we could see costs go up for those tickets? I don't think so. I think the, the market is really determined by... By competition and and after all we know in Canada there's really only two competitors so it's been a pretty cozy uh, relationship over the last decade in terms of the two airlines I don't think they're either one's trying to put the other out of business anymore and so they're willing to share the market what's interesting is this overseas reach because WestJet's growing from being just a domestic airline and you know yes they flew south to Mexico and sunspots but they really didn't have what I would call a major international network and that's where they're going now so that changes the dynamics a little bit and it also puts them in competition with some of the airlines that they're they're aligned with uh, delta for example being one you know westjet they have uh, 14,000 workforce uh, you know i'm sure that they're maybe a little bit concerned about their job security and customers may be concerned about 
if WestJet, if Onyx comes in and takes over and they decide they want to cut some jobs or whatever, uh, that that could affect the service because so many people value, uh, Loren mentioned the Western Canadian values, but time and again, every time I hear somebody talk about WestJet, it's the service that keeps them coming back or choosing WestJet over other airlines. Yeah, it's it's hard to say whether, you know, corporate culture will actually find its way right down to the to the to the customer themselves cuz uh, the culture has been established and and based on a on a, a working um a model that people recognize and so on. I don't see them changing that. I mean, uh, there's no reason for them to do that in terms of of the business, but again, uh once you start going into international, now you're dealing with classes of of customers and we've seen in WestJet, you know, the the seats up front, they're a little more expensive. They're already moving towards that model of, of differentiation. So uh, maybe this is just going to continue that further. All right. Barry Prentice joining us live on 680 CJOB, Professor of Transportation Economics at the University of Manitoba's Asper School of Business. Barry, thank you as always for the time. We appreciate it. It was fun. Bye for now. So, Loren, in, in something else here I wanted to mention to you. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned earlier today, if you're just tuning in, I, I got up at 1.30 this morning to watch Game of Thrones before I came to work, and it was a spectacular episode. If you've watched it, don't worry, I won't spoil anything. But I watched something completely different over the weekend uh, that did not involve dragons or zombies or anything like that. It actually involved, and I, I thought of you because I know you like wine. <laughs> Not, not in what, a bad way. I, I like the segue, so I just thought of Loren. Yeah, that's a, that was the first thing I thought of. I thought, <laughs> hey, this could be fun. But no, it's a movie called Wine Country. It's a Netflix movie. And usually I, I tend to shy away from Netflix movies. I know that they, they had their Academy Award nominee, Roma. But most for the most part, when I watch a Netflix movie, I think, well, that was there's a reason why that's on Netflix and not in a theater. Mm-hmm. It's not very good. But and this one also didn't belong in a theater because it was you know you classify sometimes you hear oh it was a good renter you know it was a movie that you were okay right. to, to watch at home but you didn't glad you didn't go to the movie so Wine Country it uh, it's about uh, this group of women they're longtime friends one of them Rebecca is about to turn fifty so her friend plans this sort of weekend in wine country in California, and it's got a wonderful cast of Saturday Night Live alum, uh, both actors and writers. Amy Poehler leads the cast. Tina Fey is in it. Maya Rudolph is in it. And then other, uh, Rachel Dratch, Anna Gasteyer, they were both Saturday Night Live members. Uh, Paula Pell was a writer on Saturday Night Live, and she was outstanding in this, along with uh, Emily Spivey, who was also a writer. And, uh, well, here, I'll just play a clip for you, and then I'll give you my, ra- my rating of Wine Country. Thank you so much for bringing us all together. Happy birthday. <laughs> Celebrating with a girls' weekend, huh? <laughs> when was the last time we were all together? We look so young. The Wi-Fi here is very slow. You're just going to have to talk to each other while drinking a ton of wine. What could possibly go wrong? Death. Well, and <laughs> that was a tarot so, card reader. Did you laugh? Did you find yourself laughing a lot? A ton, yeah. Okay, these, good. They, they, because I I didn't want to watch it because I liked those actresses so much or those actors, and I didn't, you know, I you know how you like someone and you don't want to be disappointed by the content if it's kind of like kitschy or cheesy or you know sad even. And so I just I almost stayed away from it for that reason. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best movie I've ever seen, but the <laughs> the, the chemistry on display is I think for one is a huge draw because these women worked so effortlessly together, and it made for such like it was just it was uh, it was. Uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Magnetic? I don't know. I just found mm-hmm. myself so compelled to hang on every word that they were saying. But then also the message, like we were talking earlier about milestone birthdays and this woman, Rebecca, didn't want to acknowledge that it was her 50th birthday. She was working on helping everyone else with their problems and avoiding her own problems. And I think maybe that's why sometimes we don't look forward to milestone birthdays because it kind of makes us take stock of where we're at in our life. And if we're unhappy with where we're at in our life, then that that milestone can kind of make you sad. Uh, So yeah, it was just, it forces people to take a good hard look at where they're at in their life and make sure we check in on their friendships. And sometimes we don't, we don't do a good job at nurturing our friendships. And uh, I think, so this movie ended up being a lot more than I thought it would be. And mm. uh, I highly recommend Wine Country on Netflix, if not just for the great cast. Uh, you know, it was a, and also, Lorraine, you're always looking for great vacation ideas. Have you I been? am. And you know what? Your whole segue to me and my enjoying factor of wine wasn't too far off. My youngest yesterday gave me a Mother's Day gift that includes all the things, you know, he likes about you. I love it when my mom does this or my mom loves that. And then it was, I wish I could buy my mom. And he filled in the blank with wine <laughs> and a ticket to Florida. <laughs> so... Yeah. <laughs> that is wonderful. Hey, also just a quick uh, another TV note. This is us. Did you end up watching This is Us yes, this year? I finished okay. it. Yeah. Good for you. Well, it's uh NBC renewed it for 3 seasons. Three more seasons. That is unheard of. Usually shows get renewed year to year. I think they actually renewed This Is Us for two seasons a couple of years ago, but now they've renewed it for another three. I don't know that I've ever seen that from any television show. So three more seasons of This Is Us to look forward to. Awesome. I like it. I like that show. Uh, I just, I hope that I, I managed to avoid not crying every episode this time. So. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.